Bibles to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2 and beginning this morning we'll read from verse 22 down to 32. Luke chapter 2 and beginning in verse 22. John Chrysostom says of Christmas, he says, This day, he who is, is born, and he who is, becomes what he was not. On this day. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's word this morning? Luke writes this, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Inevitable. The word inevitable means impossible to avoid or prevent. It is certain to happen. Invariably occurring or appearing, it is predictable. Inevitable. It is inevitable that December the 25th will happen. An earthquake, An erupting volcano or a tsunami cannot stop the calendar from turning or keep the clocks from ticking. Tomorrow will come. It is inevitable. That means that Christmas will take place and all the children rejoice. As sure as the sun will rise, there will be Christmas tomorrow. You and I will open a gift from someone, most likely, and there will be cheering Exclamations of joy, shouts of triumph, glee, and gladness echoed throughout the halls. Maybe even tears of joy. There may even be sadness as well. It is inevitable. It will happen. The only way that tomorrow does not come is that Jesus returns today. That's it. No virus or natural disaster can keep the day from coming. But the supernatural can occur. God himself can come down. And all of our gift wrapping and Christmas movie watching and usher us all into eternity. But from a human perspective, Christmas is inevitable. It is certain to happen. 
Last week, Pastor Bobby led us to look at something else that is inevitable or certain. Something he said that is hard to discuss, a topic that is avoided for many, especially at Christmas time. It was the biblical topic of death. Death is certain, just as it is an unavoidable fact that you who have been born, by your very presence in this room today, you are showing us that at one time you have been born. So it is also a fact that you will die. Writing to a friend, Brent Franklin once said, our new constitution is now established. Everything seems to promise that it will be durable. But in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. Inevitable. Now, while Benjamin Franklin was not citing scripture, or that's not necessarily biblical, he has the death part spot on. Everyone who has ever lived, except a few mentioned in the Bible, have died. It is inevitable. And yet it is not without hope. Our Advent series, looking at the theme of born that man no more may die, this comes from a poem written by Charles Wesley in 1739. That poem later became a song that we sing at Christmas entitled, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We all should be thankful to George Whitfield, who came along after Wesley, uh, wrote some of the lines and changed some of the titles and words to make it more the words that we know today. It's incredibly helpful. But Wesley is saying that Jesus Christ was born with a purpose. That instead of death being the inevitable end for all men and women, now, because of Jesus, man may have an alternate ending. He may not die, which means he may live, which means he has been saved from death because of Jesus. Man who was born into sin and who will inevitably die now may not. Just as Adam and Eve did not die right away when they ate the fruit in the garden, so also we do not gain instant immortality upon becoming a Christian. Jesus came at his first advent, born of the Virgin Mary, so that we cannot die. And then in his second advent, that is yet to come. When he comes, he will take us Christians, all Christians of all time, to then live forever with him. Jesus came to give life. Born that man no more may die. He came to give life and salvation. Jesus himself says this in John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. John writes in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. See the connection that John makes between life and light. Wesley also makes the connection when he says later in Hark the Herald Angels, seeing light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. In him was life, John writes, the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We saw this in our passage that we read in Luke chapter 2 with Simeon. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, the life that you have brought that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for glory to your people Israel. Something that was prepared beforehand. Something that has been given to your people, a light in this dark world to be able to say, I see and I see the one who has come and the life that he brings. 
As Pastor Bobby mentioned earlier, in week one, we traced the theme of birth or born. Last week, we looked at the theme of death, and now this week, we look at the theme of salvation. The theme of salvation throughout Scripture. If we look at a biblical theology of salvation, of life in Christ, where do we begin in the Bible? To begin to look at this theme of salvation in human history. Do we begin right here with Jesus, the one who comes, the light of the world, who has come into the world to bring salvation? Is that where we begin? Well, it'd be a great place to start, right? To look at Christ who comes and salvation is in Him and in Him alone. But remember what Simeon said? He mentioned that salvation was prepared in the presence of all people. Revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for the people of Israel. These things find their context earlier in the Old Testament, in the Scriptures. So do we go back to the prophets? Like Isaiah or Malachi, who prophesy of the birth of Christ? Is that far enough for us to go back and begin? Or maybe go back further to the kings like David or Josiah? Especially David, who prefigures Christ, of whom the promise was given that one from his line would always be on the throne eternally. Do we go back to the kings, or, or maybe do we go back further to Moses and Abraham or Isaac, the patriarchs, the ones who are shadow of the patriarch to come, the ones who begin this line of Israel, the people of God, to whom the promises have been given as that far enough to go back? Or do we start where we did with birth and born? Do we start at creation? When God begins to make people, made us, is that where we begin a biblical theology of salvation and redemption? Or can we go further back? They say further back in creation. I believe that there's only, uh, the Bible begins with Genesis. How do we go further back? Back. Well, there's glimpses of what happened prior to Genesis. Let me point out a couple of verses. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, Paul writes to Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Okay, we're talking salvation, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the world began, before the ages began. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, the one who has brought salvation by himself, not of your own works, but of him who has called us by his own purpose and grace before the ages began. That's how far we go back to begin to look at a biblical theology of salvation, and which now has been manifested, Paul continues, through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You want to begin to talk about life eternal, immortality, salvation, abolishing death, we begin before the ages began. We begin back in the beginning before the beginning of creation. Ephesians chapter 1 says the same thing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before him. Again, redemptive activity occurring prior to creation. We began to see God working, salvation occurring prior to creation itself. So that when the promise of a seed of Eve in Genesis chapter 3.15 comes, the proto-evangelium, the first gospel proclamation comes in the scriptures, three chapters, and when that comes, we've already had a notion that salvation is already a plan in place prior to creation because of what the scriptures give us later in the New Testament. It is not the first time a notion of salvation has been given in heaven, but one that's been written for us that we can hold in our hands. It is the first time that man and woman read of a redemptive promise in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. It's all of grace. It is all of God's initiation prior to creation, even after the curse of Adam and Eve. The salvation occurring prior to creation, we can say in a way, Christmas is older than the earth itself. Genesis 3.15 is an incredible hint of redemption. This is not the end, God says to his people, Adam and Eve. There is hope, even in the midst of your sin that you have just experienced, and that hope will be a person. No one could imagine it would be God come in the flesh, but hope found in an offspring of Eve. Parents, it would be a wise idea, a great idea for you. I know you already have all your gifts. They're probably wrapped in under the tree or they're hidden and you pull them out tonight maybe. Act like you're Santa Claus and all that, all that stuff is wonderful. But I would say if you get the opportunity, get a great children's Bible. One that walks through the story of Scripture, like the Jesus Storybook Bible or the Biggest Story Bible or the children's Bible from Catherine Voss. Get a story Bible for children and let them be in awe of the story of God from a young age. I would even suggest for you parents, if it works in any way like it did for me, when we went through the Jesus Story Book Bible day after day, night after night with our child, being able to read the stories of God pointing back to Christ, looking ahead to the person of Jesus who is coming, being able to understand more of the storyline of the Bible. Even if you don't have children in your home anymore, buy a Jesus storybook Bible. Buy a story Bible and be able to read the story of redemption as it points you to the Redeemer who is promised and the one who is coming. The redemption that is planned and prophesied. The hints of redemption throughout the scriptures get louder and more clear as we move through Genesis and the Old Testament. As Pastor Bobby mentioned, a guy named Enoch last week. Enoch was not. As the, the genealogy goes, and he died, and he died, and he died, Enoch was not. This is all it says. Enoch was not, for he walked with God. All of a sudden, we have to ask our questions, why? Why Enoch? Was he the only one who walked with God? What about Job? Job is a righteous man. What about Noah? Noah was uh, right in the eyes of God. God looked on Noah and his estate. Enoch wasn't perfect. We know that. No one is. Enoch did not earn salvation, but it says God took him up. Enoch was not, but he was with God. God's initiation, God's gift to Enoch, salvation comes by God. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. 
Noah. Only eight people are saved. And we get to Genesis chapter 6, we see the holiness of God on full display. We look at Noah and say, how can this be a glimpse of redemption when all of the world, save eight people, are cast into the sea and drowned? And we look at it and we stand in awe of a God who sees the sins of the world and says, and yet I will save eight people. What a gracious and incredibly loving God to continue to point his people to the promises of redemption, of a line that will be given, of people who will be his and saved. It shows clearly in that story of Noah that God will judge sin. A sin against a holy God is guilty of death. In the same way, a crime against the president is guilty of a higher sentence than a crime that is committed against me. But what we must come away from the Noah story is God's holiness, his justice, his wrath. But even more so, that God would save anyone at all puts us in awe of who he is. It is all of grace. Redemption is all of God's grace, all of God's initiation. God who brings his son down to us. Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 the Lord comes to Abraham and says, go to your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Did you see that word blessing given over and over again? Blessing to you, blessing to your family, Blessing to all the families of the earth. The promises that God brings, the redemption that he gives to his people, now begins to take on an international or global take. One teacher once said, as he's walking through the Old Testament, looking at redemption, he says, you won't see a full explicit, here's what God is going to do in redeeming his people. Redemption, redemption markers all along the way. What you find, though, is breadcrumbs. And over and over again, where you find the breadcrumbs, follow them, you will find the loaf. You will find the fullness of what God is wanting to show you. God makes himself known to Moses and delivers his people. Moses speaks of the Lord's salvation of his people in the Exodus and the Red Sea. When in Exodus 15, Moses sings a song of redemption. He says, who is like you, O Lord? Exodus chapter 15, among the gods, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. We, there we see God's redemption to a people, his steadfast love being shown to them, but ultimately bringing them to himself and uniting them with him in his holy abode. God's redemption is not merely a promise of something that is future to come. As though he says to Israel, I will redeem you by the Red Sea, but you will only feel the effects of it later once you die. No, the effects of salvation come with his real presence to his people now. God is with them. He has redeemed them, and that has real meaning, and it affects their lives tangibly in the present. Christmas is not just something we look back in the past and say, that was really cool that God did that. Now let's give presents to everybody we know. But how does Christmas affect you tangibly in the present right now? 
when Moses dies, Joshua leads the people. And the Lord says to Joshua, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God's promise of redemption affects us tangibly in the present, but it also gives us hope for the future. The psalmist seeing of the salvation of the Lord of redemption to Israel and to the nations, another breadcrumb of seeing how the redemption that comes to us as God's people will be given to all peoples. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The prophets speak of salvation to come, redemption God will bring by means of his servant. And again, it's a person, not a political campaign, not an ideology, but it's a person. It is always God who is bringing it, God who's initiating it, God who makes it happen. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. In Isaiah chapter 9, that Rachel read for us earlier, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. Now, the part that I skipped over in that passage in Isaiah chapter 9, I don't know if you remember, but when Rachel read it, it gets pretty gory. Wars, tumult, tragedy. You begin to see the paradox of this one who is coming, this child who will be born, the hope of all the earth comes in the midst of all of this darkness and sin. The people who are walking in deep darkness, who've walked in darkness, have seen a great light. The darker the dark is, the brighter the light will be. When Christ comes, a light has shone on them. One who is a child. I love how Isaiah the prophet writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and writes for us that the hope is found not just in a person, an offspring of Eve. We would expect it to maybe be an adult who gets to maturity and takes a political position and changes things, makes decrees and laws, and all of a sudden things happen according to what we normally think. And God says, we're going to change all of that. I'm going to bring redemption how I bring redemption. And I'll bring it by means of a child who is born out in a stable, who is nursing from a mother who is poor, and they have nothing, no material goods of any kind to be able to get them a position or a place in, a, in, a, in an inn that is there. But they're out, out in the discomforts of the world, out and all of a sudden out of society, 
I'm going to bring my child by them. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Reminds me of the passage that says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. On that child, the government shall be upon his shoulders. The one who is being held by his mother holds the worlds in his hands. Salvation comes in a person for God's people, and its effects are immediate, real, present, and eternal. God doesn't save you only for the future, but he is with you. He has changed your status now, and he looks on you with love as his sons and his daughters. Getting more explicitly clear in the New Testament, Paul writes to the church in Galatians 4, 4 through 7 when he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God is the one who has now given you the title. God is the one who has adopted you. God is the one who has initiated the process. The infant doesn't get to pick his adoptive parent. The adoptive parent picks the child. And this picture of adoption that comes. And notice what it says in verse 6. God sent his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You don't cry out to him. He sends his spirit who moves in you to cry out. This is true. You are my father. Adoption has occurred. Child growing up in an adoptive home, what a beautiful picture of salvation. Especially you can only imagine when that adoptive child looks at its parents and calls them mom and dad. Those parents, I would imagine, just weep. That's exactly what we're doing. That's exactly who we are for this child. We are its parents. And the same is true for us. That the God of all the earth, who before creation even existed, before the age uh, creation, the ages that we recognize now were even in place, that God was already working your redemption. Your eternal salvation is bound up in the initiating love of God for you. He looks at you, sees a son or a daughter whom he has sent, his only son, to redeem. Can you imagine the love that explodes from his heart when you look at him and call him father? Rely on him as a son does to a parent. The redemption that God has brought to us is one we can walk through scripture and see these breadcrumbs that lie. And there's so many other passages we can go to. But this Christmas, as we look at God's redemption from different places in Scripture, the words of Jesus come to mind that are repeated in Revelation. Come, come to Jesus, all who are weary, come and find rest. We sang that, come, all you unfaithful, come and adore him. Come to the light. Awake from your spiritual sleep. Come see the hope for all the world. Everything changed when Jesus came to dwell on earth. And everything for you will change when Jesus comes and dwells inside of you. 
As we looked at last week, you and I are indeed dying. And on our own, we cannot stop that or really slow it down at all. You can eat healthy, exercise, take supplements that might improve your life now, but nothing extends your life one minute beyond what God has ordained for you to live. You and I were born, and we will die. Jesus was born, and he died. And yet because Jesus satisfied the wrath of God towards sin, he was raised victoriously over sin and death, and he didn't stay dead. But he rose, and now if you are in Christ, guess what? You won't be able to stay dead either. You will rise just as Jesus because you are in Jesus. Now, how does one come to be in Jesus? If that's you this morning and you are here hearing for the first time the message of the gospel, seeing redemption that is offered through the scriptures, how does one come to be in Jesus? How may one not die? Something certainly people have looked for, the fountain of youth to be able to find ways to not die. We all desire in some way to do that. How do you come to be in Jesus? That is easy, and it's hard. It's easy because you come by faith, by believing He is who He says He is, and He did what He said He did. You believe that He came, that He died and rose again for sinners. It's easy, but it's also hard. Because it means that you are not God. You are not the one in charge. You have sinned by wanting desperately to make the laws of your life be the ultimate one. And now, because you believe Jesus is the ultimate one, you have to step down from the throne of your heart and not only give it to Jesus, to whom it belonged to in the first place, but also to repent for taking it in the first place. So we say, repent and believe. It's easy and it's hard. It takes a moment and yet it's a lifetime. The rest of your life learning to follow Jesus instead of yourself. Asking forgiveness whenever you forget that you are not in charge. Turning back to Jesus and following him, his laws, his ways, trusting him to lead you home. What might you be afraid of to come to Jesus? Embarrassment? Maybe you've been in church for a long time. Your family looks up to you as one who has always had a Bible out, always uh, prays before a meal, always talks of religious type things, assumes forever that you've been a Christian. You say, I can't certainly come to Jesus now. Maybe you know within your heart, I am not a Christian. I've never come and repented of my sins and put my trust in him alone to save me. This Christmas might just be that day. The embarrassment would last half a second till you look at the Father and cry out, Father, save me, my Lord and my God. What are you afraid of? Embarrassment? Being wrong? Being mocked by friends? having questions that can't be answered or addressed, you feel? If you know and are convinced that Jesus is calling you, then come. For those who have been saved already, come to Jesus again. Set up the nativity in your heart and bow before your maker who was made low for you. 
Come see your Savior's sacrifice for you. Come in humility. Come because of grace. Issuing grace to others out of the grace that you have received. Come. Remember the purpose of why he came and see your sin. Come and receive your ID badge again. Come, remember who he calls you by name. Come and get your identity reaffirmed. Come and be told again and again how much he loves you, is pleased with you, and sees you as a gift from his Father. You and I desperately need to hear those words. That you are not seen by your sins before God this morning. That if you are in Christ, you come Come in boldness, knowing that Christ has taken those sins on the cross himself, and your Father sees you as a gift. Whatever it is you're most hoping to open tomorrow morning, God sees you as far greater than that. He does not look at you and is despised or discouraged because of your sins that continually come to him in repentance. But he's overjoyed with you because of Jesus who has come on your behalf. He sees one that is far greater than any gift that can be given to him, but is the gift that was given to you. Let us not come this Christmas to offer Jesus a gift, but to see him as the gift for us and to see ourselves as desperately needy for that gift. You didn't even know that you needed Jesus until you knew you needed him. So come. You were not worthy to come and receive him. I was not worthy to come and receive him. But he doesn't call the worthy. He calls the unworthy, so they may find their worth in him and not in themselves. When it's somebody's birthday in our home, at dinner time, we always sit down and uh, we'll eat dinner, whatever it is that that birthday person wanted for dinner, we'll eat it and enjoy it together. And at some point in the meal, we'll look at each other and someone will say, okay, it's time to do it. And we all go around the table and we say what we love about the birthday person. It's a wonderful thing to do. And we look forward to every meal. And sometimes the kids will be the ones to jump in and say, I want to do it, let's do it. Maybe this year at Christmas, we have, we have traditions. You read Luke 2, you read a passage of scripture, it's wonderful. But maybe even try just going around your room and saying, let's all just share what it is we love about Jesus. Other traditions that you might do, wonderful. Continue to do them if that feeds your family and you love those things. It's great. But maybe just adding, maybe just pondering, looking at redemption that has come to you. Instead of just a quick prayer, a quick reading of Luke 2, and now destroy the gifts, maybe it's just saying, at dinner, at lunch, at breakfast, whatever it might be, at some point this week, even sitting around saying, what is it that we love about Jesus? What is it that makes Christmas so wonderful? Not only is there present effects of salvation now, that he is with you, he calls you his own, all of those things, but there is also more grace to come. There is so much more of the effects of salvation that are to come. And that's where Revelation 22 will end. Just looking briefly, Revelation 22 says, again and again, come, come to him. Come, why? I'm coming soon. Come to me. You don't know the time, 
So come to Jesus now. Christian, come now again and again. Those who are not yet Christians, come to him for the very first time. Because here was the waits for you and for I who have come to Christ by faith. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me, John, the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. For behold, I am coming soon. And again, a few verses later in chapter 22, verse 12, behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price, surely. I am coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus. You were born at one point in time. You were born dead in your sins. And yet there is infinite hope because Jesus was born to die. He came for the purpose of dying for your sins. So come. Come to the light. Step out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. George Whitfield said, Jesus was God and man in one person that God and man might be happy together again. In a moment, we're going to sing, O Holy Night. But a few lyrics as we close says, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. The author calls the whole night in all of its events holy because of what occurs. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin, error, pining, longing for hope, till he appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night, O holy night, O night divine. Our Father, we come to you this morning so, so thankful. So thankful for all the things that Christmas means and all the things that, the joy that it brings with it, but so thankful for salvation that comes in a person. Salvation that comes by means of Jesus the one who was to come, the light of the world himself, who comes and the darkness cannot overcome him. 
Father, we are so thankful for all that you have done for us in providing a Redeemer and providing Jesus. And we do pray that we as your people would come again and again to be overwhelmed by the salvation that is offered to us in Christ. That nothing would bring joy and overwhelm us so much as the gift of salvation that is Jesus. And we would stand in awe of that again and again, reveling in the gospel truth for us. And Father, if there is someone in this room who doesn't yet know you, that they would come. That they would come and they would see Jesus, the light of the world who has come, that all along they know, deep down their hearts have been pining for him, weary of searching, weary of wondering, that they would come. Those who are thirsty would come. Father, we ask for the work of salvation to continue in us and to continue in this room and as we go from this place to those we interact with this Christmas, that what would be on our lips is the love of Christ that has come to us this time of year as we celebrate, but now and forever. You are with us. You rename us. We are yours, and we will be with you always. We ask your blessing on the remainder of our time together this morning. In Christ's name, amen. At this time, we're going to sing a few.